and welcome to She Said, She Said. I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. Our guest today is Andrea Cecile Cohen. She is the CEO and creative genius behind UK-based fashion label number 35. What you may not know is that Andrea also designed many of the amazing ensembles that were worn on CBS's hit television series, The Good Wife, and later the spinoff, The Good Fight. Both of those television shows feature strong female characters, and fashion plays a big part. It essentially helps tell the story of these powerful women. It reflects their personality, and it also helps convey the evolution of their character. It's really a true testament to the power of fashion itself. It's telling that Andrea's motto for her fashion line, number 35, is empowerment through dress. Her approach is thoughtful, with the utmost respect for the women who wear her clothes. She is self-made, an entrepreneur in the truest sense of the word, and her personal story, as you will soon hear, speaks volumes about who she is. Andrea, welcome to She Said, She Said. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Delighted to have you. Deli- and you're our first our first Brit. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good accolade. <laughs> first Brit. It is indeed. It is indeed. So, Andrea, what is number 35 and how did this come about? Number 35 is my brand of clothing, which, uh, which I design for professional women. I, f- I always felt that it was really difficult for professional women to find beautiful clothes that made them feel beautiful from inside out. My business came about because I found it very difficult to find clothes. And one time I was traveling in Italy with a, a partner and we were in, actually we were going from France to Italy and we were in Saint-Tropez and I was in a foul mood because I'd burnt my feet. <laughs> and when I burned my feet, that's the worst thing that could happen to me. Sunburn. Sunburn, right. yes. <laughs> it's not physically, right. yes, I got sunburned. Sunburn. Um, and I was, I, I wasn't feeling really happy. We were going out for dinner and I was looking at all the women around me. And at the time, everybody was wearing these Von Dutch t-shirts. And I thought, why does everybody follow everybody else? They all look awful. Why can't women each have their own individual style and, and just be a little bit more unique? And I said to my partner at the time, I, um, what is wrong with people? Why do they all look the same? Why can't they all look different? And I said, do you know what? I'm going to design my own range of clothing. And he said to me, Andrea, but you don't know how to do it. And I said, it can't be that difficult, surely. So we then went on to Italy and I came down for breakfast one day and I said to everybody at breakfast, so I'm going to start this company. It's going to be called number 35. And I'm starting it as soon as I get back to London. And everybody was you've really lost it this time and I said no I'm going to do it and I said what is it going to be for and I said it's going to be producing very simple elegant clothes designed to fit that make business women feel amazing how hard was that to just start basically start from scratch it was you know what I think when you look back you don't look at you don't see how difficult it was I don't even remember I remember now looking back thinking god how did I do that but actually I don't think I thought it was difficult I just thought well 
it's it can't be that difficult because hundreds of people do it uh i went on to a pattern cutting course and learned how to pattern cut in a day two days three days or whatever it was i remember just asking hundreds of questions i asked everybody questions i'd phone somebody up can you help me with this no then can you help can you tell me somebody that can and you find your way and i found an amazing business angel well she was actually a a pattern cutting angel and she had worked in the industry for 10 years 20 years even she worked for amanda wakeley she worked for lincolnshire act that designed the duchess of york's wedding dress and she did my pattern cutting on my first collection but if i'd I'd phone her up and say marion where do i get these buttons from and she'd say go to so and so where do i get this from go to so and so what do i do about this do this do that and actually she was like my best friend and she still works with me now but she never asked for anything never she was just there to help me all the way and I'll never I'll you you don't forget the people that have been on that journey with you and she's very special to me now and you probably don't forget the people who were particularly unsupportive as you started on this journey either I'm assuming that partner is long gone yes 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 he is yes (laughs) In fact, we split up that year when I set up my business because it was all about my business and sometimes you can't do both. So yes, that's uh, that's no longer. But um, yeah, I think you've just got to... What I found really interesting is that everybody was happy to help. I don't think I came... when In the industry that was in, so manufacturers, they would lead me to another manufacturer And, you know, my first manufacturer I still work with today. And for the first two years of me doing that collection, he still did all my alterations for free. Never asked me for a penny, just made the clothes for me. And I'd say, oh, Martin, can you do this for me? Can you do that for me? And he did it all. He was, he's still amazing. So yeah, it's really important to have those people that really help you. So designing for the good wife. That must have been incredibly exciting. Um, How did that come about? It was an interesting story. I was an avid early adopter of social media and I was on Twitter one day and I started following an amazing business investment manager called Carol Roth. And she had quoted something, so I re-quoted and commented And then I followed her and then she followed me back. And I thought, you know what, if you don't ask, you don't get. So I wrote to her and I said, look, Carol, next time you're in London, come and have a look at our clothes. And she said, well, actually, I don't go to London very often, but this is my agent. Maybe we can do a deal. And I thought, "Mm, a deal, what does that mean? And so I thought, you know what, I'll follow up. I was going to the state, so I said, look, why don't we meet? You can try on a couple of pieces, and maybe if you do some promotion for us, it can turn into something. Turns out, I went to the US, came here, we met in New York. Her agent happened to be the agent for Daniel Lawson, the uh, costume designer of The Good Wife. And Linda was saying, oh my God, Andrew, these clothes are amazing. They would be so perfect for Dan. So why don't I try and hook you up? Two weeks later, I get this email saying, why don't you send some clothes over? So like, yeah, great, loads of clothes, good wife, show, brilliant. I knew everybody loved the show. It wasn't so big in the UK, but I knew it was very big in the US. Packed up a whole load of clothes, probably about 30 pieces, sent them over. 
four weeks later, they all came back. And I thought, what? Did I completely misinterpret this situation? Are these clothes not right for this show? Turns out that Dan had had them, but he didn't, he hadn't, it hadn't been explained what they were thought for. He didn't know whether he was buying them, whether he was leasing them, whether he was not doing anything with them, even though he loved them. So I thought, okay, I'm not giving up. I'm going to try again. So this time I got in touch with Linda and I said, look, I'm coming back. Why don't we try and fix a meeting with Dan? And so after a lot of persuasion, I managed to do that. Got back on the plane, met Dan, and it was it was just an amazing experience. I walked into the room. He was so open and so warm. And then he looks at the clothes and he's like, oh, this is amazing. He said, I want to put it on. He said, can I take them? And I'd, I'd brought them for Carol. And I sort of went, oh, okay, if you want. <laughs> so I gave, I gave Carol's clothes away. Um, so he could use them for Christine and and um, Juliana. And that afternoon I get this text saying, oh, my God, Juliana absolutely loved it. Um, and, of course, she's talking about Christine Baranski Christy, and yeah. Juliana Margulies. Yeah, who play Alicia and-, and Diane in The Good Wife. And that was it. The next season uh, we worked together on 40 pieces, which were all on the show. And what was so lovely is that they were really strong and they they made an impact because they were very, very different from anything else that had been on the show. So it was, it was a really fun experience. Yeah, well, your collaboration then resulted in a further collaboration from a business strategy standpoint in that you combined your your number 35 label with DL and you have sort of a separate line as well so clearly it was a meant to be uh it was it was it was interesting again it developed out of nowhere Dan wanted to do wanted to design and um he loved our ethos and what we stood for and the empowerment and how how women felt in the clothes and I think when he put them on the actresses and that was all the actresses because there was also some minor cast members that would wear the clothes he said that every single one of them felt different when they put the clothes on Hmm. and he said sometimes when um Diane or Alicia would walk up to set People like the cameraman and the sound engineers would go, wow. And he said he, he never noticed that before. Mm-hmm. Whereas when they started wearing our clothes, everybody really, they noticed a big difference. So for us, that was amazing. I, I mean, we were used to having a lot of women get loads of compliments. It was very normal for us to to know that our clients got loads of compliments on the clothes. But, but when you see it on a different level, it's quite interesting. So talk about the vision for the brand. I mean, you've described how people feel in the clothes, and I, I can attest to that. I am now a happy, happy customer and feel very, very fortunate to have met you. Uh, but talk about the vision for the brand and how that came about. Um, I think the vision for the brand, it was out of a necessity for me to find clothes that I felt comfortable in. So I was traveling backwards and forwards to Europe. I was managing director of a furniture company, which was based in Holland. I never, ever felt amazing. I always, I was shapely or I am shapely. I found it really difficult just to find simple, elegant clothes that did the job for me, that either traveled well, that looked good, that didn't come out of a suitcase looking like it'd been in a, just come out of the washer. 
So I just felt there must be a different way for women to be able to feel good about going to work. So I felt like I could do it myself. Can't be that difficult to design a collection of clothes and to find (laughs) fabrics and manufacturers and learn how to grade and pattern cut and all those sort of things. But I thought, oh, you know what? If you don't try, you don't get so, so I did. <laughs> so so let's really dig into that because what you just said, I think, is one of the most remarkable aspects of your story. You did not have a background in fashion design. So let's talk about what you studied and what you were doing and the trajectory to really make a very significant career shift from one thing to another. Uh, I, I went to art college um, and it was, a, it was an art college, like the art colleges from the 60s so it was ridiculously organized there was rubbish everywhere big drawing board loads of colors it was like a hippie art college it wasn't a very nice refined art college so it wasn't it wasn't a very disciplined course but i studied what they call surface patterns so i designed wallpapers i designed carpets i designed rugs you name it tiles we did printing tiles so it was a much more free Um, way to actually demonstrate your art talent Um, but I was always told that I was not I I was not commercial enough I wouldn't make it as a designer and I had a big mouth and I always talked a lot so they told me you'd be much better as a salesperson so I actually felt very demotivated when I came out of college because I didn't I didn't have an outlet for what I thought was my design talent for fabrics etc and it was still when there was a when I came out of college there was still a lot of florals and geometrics hadn't really hit the interior market yet so I I was a little bit lost actually Um, so I decided that actually I would go into sales I'll go into retail maybe I'll do fashion buying so I started off working at Fortnum and Mason which is a very famous store on Piccadilly and I sort of quite enjoyed it. And I moved up the ranks and then I went to another big retailer and I became more senior. And and then, like all of us, your education and your, your jobs just literally follow one to the other without you even sometimes being conscious of it. So when I actually woke up and became conscious, I realized that I wasn't happy. I realized that actually there is a different outlet for me. And I realized that actually, why don't we go back to actually what I'd really love to do, which is creating amazing clothes for amazing women. And how old were you at this point? I was 40. I just turned 40, which was very strange. It was a very strange age, but it was a very empowering age because you're experienced enough to be able to know what you want. And you also don't have as much fear in certain ways. So I was financially stable. I'd had good jobs and I thought, oh, why not? Let's try it. And I think it's that digging deep and finding finding that core strength to give up everything. And everybody said to me, you're mad. Why are you doing it? You don't know how to design. And I just thought, well, honestly, it can't be that difficult, really. So I actually, my first couple of days as a free agent, I remember sitting in my office at home thinking, oh, what am I going to do now? (laughs) I've got no job. (laughs) It was a really weird feeling. 
And I thought, you know what? I'm going to hire a, a fashion designer. So I thought, okay, I looked up this fashion designer and I said, right, okay, this is what I want. This is for the women who the market is. I did, I knew my market coming from a business background. I knew who my customer was. I knew what her age was. I knew what her disposable income was. I knew what her values were. So I felt that let's get some designs and work towards that goal. So she designed some pieces for me and I just went, you can't wear that like like crazy sleeves and shapeless clothes and I thought really no and then that's when I realized that actually probably I could do this so I started doing drawings and actually I thought these actually these could turn into something these were clothes that I would wear Mm -hmm. and that was the beginning of it that was the little shell of it and then it just grew so beyond your own confidence in knowing in your heart that this is what you wanted to do, what you thought you could do. Who was supportive of you? You mentioned everyone around you thought you were crazy. Was there anybody who was supportive of this idea? My my mother was the only one that said to me, I know you can do it. Through all the madness, through all the, the you know, my, my, my father and my brother were saying, you can't do this. It's ridiculous. You've got no experience. The one thing that my mum always taught me was that there is no no. And if ever I said, I can't do this, she would say to me, there's no such word as can't. And I used to think, (laughs) really? There is. But she said, no, you can do anything you want to do. So that always gave me that inner strength to say, actually, if you believe it, if it's in your, if there's something inside you when you start a business that just gives you this inspiration to carry on. And, And even when you get to points when you don't know how to turn, sometimes they're not relevant because you don't really see them. You only see them afterwards when you've gone past them and you think, oh, how did I get through that? But I think that's the thing with when you have your own business, when you when you have that entrepreneurial spirit, you just keep going no matter what. There's no no, really. Is there some process or sort of technique or something that you go through when you just bump up against a brick wall? Everybody's telling you no, even though you know in your heart you can do it. What is your strategy for just continuing to put one foot in front of the other? I have a really wise friend that always says to me, Andrea, if you get some resistance, find another route. And I've always find that really interesting. Whereas probably when I was younger, I would just barge through and I would find a way. Whereas now, now I'm older and I'm a little bit more experienced. I probably will find a different way of doing something. So if I can't get through to somebody, I will find a a more softer technique maybe or a different way of doing it. But I will get, I will get there. That, that's, that's, that's that sheer determination that you have. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That you need, yes. right, to be yeah. an entrepreneur. So let's let's backtrack a little bit. Number 35 had been around and launched for how long before the collaboration with Daniel Lawson? We'd been going about eight years. Mm-hmm. Um and we had we have a really great loyal following in London. So it, it was lovely that we got so much great press and the American market, everybody loved the clothes and we were getting loads of um, questions about the clothes and loads of sales online. So it became it became really interesting to see that the American market was also missing this simple, chic 
clothes that made women feel better. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think it's every market. I think in every country, women struggle to find those beautiful business clothes that, that are quality, that aren't crazy prices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what did the collaboration do to the sort of brand awareness, if you will? I mean, you were already known in the UK, less so in the US. Did it just sort of explode? And how did you, how did you deal with that? How big of a shift was that for you? It was it was an interesting shift. I think what it did is it gave us the foundation for people, for women to understand that actually they can find these great clothes and this is the person that can do it for you. So it gave it gave the authority, it gave us the authority to be a fashion designer that that help women dress for the office. What does that mean to you personally? I think it's one of the most amazing feelings in the world when you see your clients put the clothes on and and they physically grow and they physically glow. I mean, honestly, they glow. And and, and my clients, I'm very close to a lot of my clients and a lot of them are really incredible women that have moved up their own career ladders. And they'll phone me up and they'll say, oh, I, I, one client is a lawyer and she had to open the, the law society at the House of Lords. And the only pieces that she would wear would be number 35. And she'd phone me up and she said, you know what? I wore this, this and this and I felt amazing. And I think that makes, it just makes my heart glow because it's an amazing feeling to know that I have made her feel better. And that, that, I don't think you can beat that. So beyond the, the design piece of your business, you've also created something called the Body Forum. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of an extension of this vision. Talk a little bit about what the Body Forum is. Uh, the Body Forum is a workshop and a website that we have designed to help women understand and piece together the inner feelings that they have about their bodies and cement that with how they physically look. What was really interesting for me is when I looked at my clients, each one of them, no matter what size they were, no matter how tall, how small, how thin, they always would put themselves down. So they'd say something like, oh, I really don't look good in this dress, or I feel really fat, or look at my legs, look at this. And I didn't quite understand why we as women always focus on the elements of our body that we really don't like that that it's the it's the 10 percent or the one percent versus the 90 absolutely right? just and, like everything yeah and and, <laughs> and actually what i noticed was when they put our clothes on the whole was being viewed whereas to them they were still focusing on that tiny little part that wasn't being that that they would see and i just felt that's crazy. Why do we do this to ourselves? Why do we have such little confidence about who we are as women? And I felt, and I started doing a lot of research and I realized that the media has such a control over us since the 50s and since the the the, the beginning of that perfect 50s housewife, we all had to live up to this. And then in the 60s, you had the Twiggy. In, in, in Britain, you had Twiggy who was the stick thin model and all of a sudden this became the norm and this is what women had to aspire to but 95% of us are not five foot eight five foot nine we're not the perfect size US six or UK UK eight 
Um, so actually what we have to do is we have to learn to accept who we are. So the body forum is about understanding the psychology of what your clothes do for you. It's also about trying to see the whole holistic you rather than focusing on the negative parts of you. So it's looking at confidence, it's looking at how you stand, how you feel, how you come across. So we try to do tips and tricks to make you feel better. And that that really is important for us. And we've worked with some great charities um, where we've had, we, I've dealt with women that have come out of really serious abuse situations. And, and just to give them confidence to know that they, they can be the women that they want to be. Again, that's really empowering for them. And, and it's empowering for me that I have that gift to do that. What advice do you have for younger women in particular on how to balance professional dress with fashion and trendiness? I think it's a really good question. And I think the one thing that you have to do is know the environment you're going into. So I don't feel that you need to lose your style or you lose your individuality, but you just have to adjust it. So for example, if you're going to work in a corporate environment, think about the length of your skirt. Think about the how low your, your dress is or your top is. Those are some things that in, in London, when I first started my business, I went into the city and I spent probably about hours on end just watching the women. And there was a vast difference between the junior women and the senior women. Junior women had heels that they couldn't walk in. They had shirts that didn't fit them. They had short skirts on. That's fine, but it isn't fine for working in a law firm or working in a bank. So you can keep your style, you can keep your color, you can keep your accessories, but just tone them down so that you're ready for the work environment. And take a, don't copy your colleagues, but take a lead from them. Because if they've been there before, they know how the dress code is. Certain businesses like Goldman Sachs, they actually tell you what you should wear. But actually, I don't, I don't feel you should ever lose your individual style. I still think you can keep it, but I think you have to tone it down. And then when you get out of work, you do what you want. Who are your, who are your role models in the business of fashion? Uh, that's a very difficult question because I've never really, I've never really considered myself in fashion which is interesting. What do you mean? Uh, I always felt like fashion was for everybody else, but it wasn't for me. I've always been a real individual, so I've always really had that, that, that strength to know that if I think it's good, then, it, then it's good. Fashion is a little bit of a contradiction in terms, especially in London. You look at all these women that want to be fashionistas. They want to be part of the fashion set, but actually, so they become followers of the fashion set. But when you think about actually the meaning of fashion, fashion is about being an individual and a leader. So actually the fashionistas are actually followers. So that's my contradiction for the fashion industry. Or if you're a leader, who are the people that lead the fashion industry? And then you get the followers, which are your fashionistas. So actually, I think it's best to sit on the periphery and create your own individual style. And when I when I go around London, that's what I love about London. In London, you have so many women that really don't follow fashion. They create their own style and it's so refreshing to see. So when I look at other designers, they, they have incredible 
technique. Uh, one of my favorites, I have to say, is Alexander McQueen because of the way that he cuts or he cut. Um, but actually, he, I've never looked and said, wow, I want to be like that because I've always felt that business clothes, I never really considered it fashion. I, I considered it a necessity. And so I've never sort of put myself in that in, in that general fashion business because it's a very competitive not a very nice business so I've always stayed on the periphery so I would feel like my role models are more towards business women than fashion women and who are they who, who would those role models be I think someone in England we have a, a an amazing role model called Karen Brady she was the first female manager of a football club Oh, really? Yes, in the UK. And obviously football is our, is our main sport. But what she did is she broke through the moulds of the male-dominated football industry. And she started managing Birmingham City or one of, the, one of the clubs in Birmingham. But actually, she did a really good job. And she owned it and she built it up. And, and now she's on The Apprentice, the... the, the the UK version of The Apprentice, but she's got businesses and she's stood at it and she's she and she advocates female empowerment. And I think that's a really powerful thing. There aren't a lot of women that do that. So I do think she's she's quite amazing and she's still quite young. So she's had a hell of a career. (laughs) So when you think about where you are now and you think about the future, what do you hope your legacy will be? I hope my legacy will be how women felt in my clothes. Not the individual clothes themselves, because I'm sure there's going to be pieces that come afterwards. But I feel like if, if, a, if a woman that wears my clothes can remember how they felt on a particular day when they were doing a particular job, I think that's an incredible legacy. And I think for my clients to feel incredible in their clothes if that can continue then that's the most amazing legacy are there any regrets anything that you would do differently as you look back i i feel that i am a person that doesn't look at regrets i i don't feel that it's positive i i think you should learn from things that you didn't do correctly but I feel that having regrets can put you in a place where you beat yourself up. And I don't want to do that. I, I feel that it's all about a forward trajectory. So, no, regrets for me isn't something that I want to think about. I, I look at things that I maybe would have liked to have done better, but I will never regret my decisions. Because each decision each decision leads you to your next route Mm -hmm. so whether it's the right or the wrong decision at that time you made it so you made it in good faith so there's no point in going back thinking why did I do that that wasn't the right decision because it was right at the time otherwise you wouldn't have done it yeah yeah I mean women can have a, a hard time shutting down that natural tendency to rethink things whether it's regret or whether it's just sort of playing an experience over and over and over in their head do you do you do that or is that something that you just don't do or is there some secret that you have for how you stop yourself from doing that I I don't do it because it it doesn't help me 
And and the one thing that I've always said to all my staff and my interns and everybody that's ever worked with me, if we've got a problem, let's find a solution. For me, there's absolutely no point in me putting energy into something that I can't change. I only want to put energy into something that I can change. We make bad decisions sometimes at work. Sometimes we'll create a piece and I'll go, oh, whoa, what is that? That's awful. (laughs) It's not a good day, I would think. (laughs) It isn't when it's a a final production sample and it looks awful and the fabric's horrible and I go, oh, that's so not good. Let's get rid of that. But actually, I say, right, okay, what can we do to change it? As soon as it's done, it's done. Any bad decision, it's done. Move forward, find a solution to it, and get get on with the next thing. I don't know whether that's good or bad, but it's the way I deal with things. Yeah, and not not ruminating and overthinking and sort of dwelling on it. You just take action and move on. I think in a business, you you as the leader of your business hasn't you haven't got the capability to always look at how you should have done something you have to have that in your back of your mind actually next time I do next time I come across this I'm going to do this differently and that for me is part of moving forward learning to do things differently but I I love that expression that says the the biggest sign of insanity is doing the same thing and and expecting a different result and again that's something that I've always thought about if I repeat the same thing, I'm going to get the same results. I don't want that. I want a different result. Let's go this way. Let's change this. Let's try and let's try and up it to to find a different level and a different entry point. Mm-hmm. So with every with each of our guests that we have on, she said, she said, we ask them for either a life hack or a favorite piece of advice, something that maybe is their North North Star that they constantly refer back to or something that they always share with other people. What would your life hack or best piece of advice be? Can I have two? Yes, you can have as many as you like. <laughs> we are eager for your wisdom. <laughs> the two, I'm a, I'm a real avid reader, and the two pieces of advice that I've taken, not advice, but, it, but it, something that really connected and resonated with me. One was by an incredible psychologist called Viktor Frankl who was a psychologist that went mm, through the Second course. World War. And there was, I read his book called Man's Search for a Meaning. Oh, I love that book. It's on my coffee table. It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. But one piece that, that just stood out, when he was in the concentration camp, he said something, I might not get it 100% right, but, but it's my interpretation. He who has a why to live will deal with any how. And I loved that because I thought if you've got a will, if you've got a reason to get up in the morning, that is the biggest reason for you to find a way of doing something. And that was really important to me. And then the second one was from a very famous writer called Seneca. I don't know whether that's the way you pronounce it. And his quote, which has always stayed with me, was luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity and those two for me are part of how I've formatted the last 10 years of my life that's fantastic Andrea thank you this was amazing we loved having you this morning thank you 
To learn more about Andrea, please go to our website at www.shesaidshesaidpodcast.com. There you will find show notes as well as links to number 35 and to Andrea's bio. And if you're enjoying She Said, She Said, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Thanks so much for listening.